0: In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome back the king of NBA Twitter and the co-host of No Chill with Gilbert Arenas, Josiah Johnson. We get Josiah's insight on the Nets' latest coaching hire of Jock Vaughn, is there any hope to repair the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James' legacy, and if there's anything the league can do to combat tanking. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. Also, check out our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Josiah Johnson. He is known as the king of NBA Twitter, and he is the co-host of No Chill with Gilbert Arenas. We welcome back Josiah Johnson onto as How's it going,
1: Josiah? Thank you so much for having me back, man. Good to be here.
0: And good to have you back, and um, a lot of topics to discuss with you. And let's let's hop into it right now. Um, the Nets recently hired Jock Vaughn as their new head coach. Everybody, you know, on Twitter and everybody within the basketball world, that's gonna be Email Yudoka's next head coach. Uh, what were your feelings when you first heard this news? And what do you think about this whole this Nets really this disaster so far this season?
1: I mean, yeah, with everything going on, uh the situation firing Steve Nash, uh all the other stuff, you know, the Kyrie stuff, everything, kind of the internal turmoil turmoil with the Nets right now. Uh, I just felt like that Edoka move, once it got reported, it felt a little weird and strange. Obviously the Celtics. Uh, suspended him for the entire season. Did their research and investigation, and, and felt like that was the appropriate move. So it just felt a little weird that the Nets would see that and then think that Udoka uh, would be the right choice for them. Now I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm an Emeka Udoka fan. I think he did a great job with the Celtics last year, but obviously the situations he was in off the court and the Celtics' determination that you know that wasn't good enough for him to be able to coach that squad that year felt a little, little strange and peculiar that the Nets would make that move. Obviously, over the past couple of days, the situation has changed, and I remember, you know, uh, Woj and Shams reporting that it was pretty much imminent that the hire was going to be made. Then the days kept going on, and then it, you know, started to feel like it wasn't going to happen. I'm super happy for Jock Vaughn. Uh, I think he's a, a great option there. I think he's obviously a former NBA player, has a you know story basketball career, a uh, Southern California legend for everything he did, you know, at, at Muir High School, and obviously going on to Kansas. So I think that's that's a good move for them. It seems like he's going to be able to, to connect with Kyrie and KD. also thought it was a little weird today. I, th- I think Sean Mark said something along the lines of that KD had really no input in this decision being made, and they just wanted him to focus on playing basketball, which was, uh, I think, different than when Steve Nash was named head coach. It seemed like Kyrie and KD were on board with that move, actually had a say and a hand in that decision being made. But at the end of the day, I think Jacques Vaughn is familiar with the team, uh, has been on the staff now for a while. So he knows how to get the most out of these guys. So I'm excited to see what he does with the Nets this season. And uh, just great to see him obviously getting the deal, I think, through uh, 2024.
0: So where's this franchise go from here with all the turmoil? And when looking when looking at the Nets and just seeing them play various teams within the league, I mean, they have plenty of talented players on, on this roster. And th- with the record, it's not like they're at the bottom. I mean, they, they are in contention here. So yeah. where, where do you see, where you go with this team? Do you blow it up? Do you just try to contend? I mean, what is the best sol- solution? If you're running the Nets, what would you do in, in this situation?
1: Uh, If I was running the Nets, I'd probably retire because, uh, you know, I can't deal with (laughs) with all those headaches. But, I I mean, I I think, you know, we'll see what happens with Kyrie. Obviously, there's been varying reports. The Nets gave him the mandate of all the, you know, the six thing he he needs to do to, to lift the suspension to get back to playing basketball. But I think the squad still, when everybody's competing, playing hard, you know, situation last year getting swept by the Celtics. Uh, you thought they would come out here with you know renewed vigor and spirit and, and really you know put their best foot forward. Obviously, there were situations behind the scenes with, with Steve Nash and the team that are now starting to come to light. But I feel like this squad still has all the pieces necessary to be a, a contender in the NBA. Uh, you know, obviously it's been a shaky start, but it's been a shaky start for a lot of teams around the league. I think you look at the Warriors and what's going on out there and their struggles on the road. Uh, really, only only squads like the Jazz and the Bucks are really kind of, you know, locked in right now and and making a full go about it. But I think the Nets are still a a contender level team on paper. Need to get some more out of Ben Simmons. Need to get him back comfortable and acclimated and and willing to shoot the ball, which I think is a big point of emphasis for them this season. But I think when you look at that squad, that big three, more than capable to make some noise in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, if they can get it all together and figure it out, definitely have the, the potential to make a championship run as well.
2: Josiah, do you put any stock in the thought that's been circulating that, like, Kyrie's done? He's not going to do these various things that have been asked of him to attempt to make amends for the controversy there and sharing that link. We don't have to get in all that. But do you put any stock in the idea that he's not coming back to the NBA?
1: I mean, I think when news first broke, and just, you know, I've watched the NBA for a long time, it just seemed a little weird in terms of what the punishment was obviously Kyrie mm-hmm. posted the link, but Kyrie, you know, owned up to it, apologized, had a lengthy apology. And I feel like, you know, they talk about cancel culture in the world that we live in, you know, everybody wanted Kyrie to apologize, Kyrie apologized. And then that wasn't good enough. So for me, it's like, what, what more do you want from them? Obviously the things he's doing off the court, trying to make a, a donation to the ADL and uh, you know, really, you know, sitting w- with Jewish leaders and organizers and trying to just, you know, understand more and, and, and do a lot of things on those side, that side. But, the the list of demands, especially I think the last one where he you now has to demonstrate to Joe that he he's learned his lesson, and you know it just for for those of us who will follow Kyrie and know Kyrie's game, when that thing first got you know posted in the news, first broke of what their requirements were, it felt like you know I, I raised this point on my show out of pocket that Kyrie may not play basketball again, just just knowing him, and it just seemed it seemed a little just just weird in terms of what the punishment was. But I think it remains to be seen. When you talk about Kyrie, you talking about a guy who loves basketball. He puts his heart into the game. You know, one of the best still guards in the league, you know, right now at this point, despite all the controversy and all the off-court stuff. So, I, I mean, you know, I think the one thing we know about Kyrie is Kyrie's going to do whatever Kyrie wants to do. So, if, if that's play basketball, he's going to play basketball. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. I wouldn't be surprised if he fulfills all those requirements, is able to come back with the Nets this season. Wouldn't be surprised if he just sits out for the rest of the year, becomes a free agent, and, and kind of figures it out there. And I wouldn't be surprised, too, if he just says enough's enough and uh, I've had enough of this, I'm going to retire.
2: Another thing I wanted to circle back to is with Coach Udoka, there were there was talk when this controversy was going down this summer. Now, granted, we're in a society that loves hyperbole, loves to exaggerate, loves to go for these big takes. But it, there were credible media members that were saying – Very real possibility I could see Coach Udoka has coached his last game based on this controversy. Now, we don't know, of course, all the details and and all that hasn't been uh, made public. But um, is it safe to assume now, based on him being that first candidate for the Nets and that first consideration, that he is indeed going to coach again at some point in the NBA?
1: I mean, I think, and again, this is this is all based on the information that we have now. Sure. Uh, you know, you know, the Celtics conducting an internal investigation. The Nets initially saying, you know, we were good on that. We're going to hire him, but then doing their own investigation and decided that Jacques Vaughn was the head coach. Uh, I think it remains to be seen. You know, you know, one of the the media members you mentioned, Matt Barnes, my former teammate at UCLA. Matt posted a video initially, deleted that video, and then came back and said, you know, based on the reports and, and things that he had heard, that he wouldn't be surprised if Adoka never coached in the NBA again. I think uh, you know I, it's hard to tell. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to sure. say one way or the other, just because I don't know all the details and information of that investigation. A lot of that stuff really hasn't been made public, let uh, made public yet or brought to light. But I will say that you know, it seems like you know the Celtics w- were standing firm in that one year suspension. But you know, if they wanted to just fire him, they would have fired him, which made it a little weird. Obviously, that when the Nets came calling that the Celtics said, we, we were fine with that and, you know, we weren't going to hold them up. You'd think they would want some compensation. You know, we've seen coaches traded before. something Something for a, a coach of that caliber, you know, who's two games away from winning the NBA Finals. But I think it all remains to be seen, uh, you know, based on the information that we've pr- been presented, I would hope that he gets the opportunity to coach again. Obviously, he, he he's going to serve his punishment. And once that's done, you know, he's paid his debt to the basketball society. Like he should be able to, to, to continue doing what he loves. But again, if, if more information comes to light, that maybe you know, refute, re- refute that belief that I have right now. That remains to be seen. But at this current juncture, I feel like Coach doka deserves another chance to coach in the NBA.
0: So just another question on his point and then I want to shift gears. How have you think Adam Silver has handled all these controversies along with Robert Sauver as well, with the Phoenix Suns? And just Talking about Kyrie, I mean, that got national media attention, and I think the season in terms of the play on the court has been phenomenal. I mean, just, you just know, at least in my opinion, you don't usually see this regular season's games being this competitive, even from just looking at a league pass game late at night. It's been fantastic basketball, but yeah, we're talking about this. Um, do you think Adam Silver has any blame in that regard, just in terms of how he's handled these situations
1: so far? I mean, look at the end of the day, this this is, a, you know, a franchise situation first, and then obviously when the league needs to step in and do what they need to do. So allowing these teams to ha- – allowing the teams to handle this stuff internally I think is the first step, and Adam Silver's done a good job of that, but obviously when he needs to step in and he needs to flex his commissioner muscles, these are things he has to do. And it's a position, you know, I think all of us can can sit here and, you know, say what we would do if we were commissioner, but we have no idea the the magnitude and gravity of all the things he's doing, the calls he's fielding behind the scenes – uh, different sponsors I think you know I'm a big Twitter guy we're seeing that with Twitter right now with Elon Musk taking over just how quickly these things can change so everybody likes to pretend you know when when they're on their couch oh I would have did this I would have did that and this is how I would have handled it uh that's not a job that uh, I would envy at all I mean I think it's definitely a difficult position to be in but I think Adam Silver is doing the job to the best of his ability and to your point like you mentioned you know for me this is probably I can't think of a, a bad league pass matchup you know in years past there's games hey there's no way I'm watching this game you know, because I don't, I don't want to just be bored to death. But I think every team has something to offer, whether that's their Orlando Magic with Bowl Bowl and Paolo and that whole crew, there's just excitement. Houston Rock is obviously a young team that, that you know, you can just see the trajectory they're on right now. They're going to they're gonna take some lumps on the chin now, and they might be at the bottom of the league for a little bit once that squad matures. But I feel like across the board, pretty much every team except the Lakers right now, which is, you know, tough watching. But even me, you know, I'm a LeBron fan and rolling with the Lakers right now. You know, you see some some stuff that gives you some hope and optimism that this squad can get it together and at least finishing that top 10 to be able to make a playing game. But like I said, Adam Silver's got to, to, to be the commissioner for all 30 teams. Each team has stuff going on behind the scenes that needs to be dealt with and addressed. I feel like to the best of his ability, he's doing a good job right now. And again, that's not a position that I envy or would ever want to be in. So
0: you mentioned the Lakers, and it it seems like there's some glimmer of hope, uh, according to yourself. So uh, where do you see the patches of the light at the end of the tunnel here for this team? Because they've been just been getting killed ever since the season started.
1: So, I mean, I think, you know, Darvin Ham coming in, uh, renewed sense of toughness, really, really doing a great job on the defensive side, which I feel like was something that was lacking last season. You know, last season, their defensive effort was extremely poor and made games really difficult to watch. Uh, this time around, this season, the, the squad is really coming through with that defensive intensity and keeping themselves in a lot of ball games. You know, they still can't. You know, pretty much every game, it's something new or something different that that comes into the fold that they need to fix and correct. But you know, third quarters have been an issue, obviously, for this team this year, last year. But you just see, you know, the three point shooting when they first came in uh, was abysmal. I think it was record setting in terms of how terrible it was. But you can see if this squad can actually get it together, be a cohesive unit, and actually learn to start just playing together, playing for each other, that they can start to put some wins on the board. I think moving Russell Westbrook to six-man, you know, I'm a a Westbrook guy, I'm a UCLA guy, I'm a big fan of his. But you got two ball-dominant guards in him and LeBron, and obviously LeBron is running the show right now. It just didn't really make sense, even from that trade in the the beginning, like, you know, how are they really going to address this with with spacing and uh, usage rates and all that good stuff. But seeing Westbrook come off the bench, he reminds me of the Russell Westbrook, who was at UCLA, you know, early on in his career when he was looking to become a lottery pick, but just had something to prove, had a chip on his shoulder, playing with that fire, with that hunger. And it's, it's great to see after everything he dealt with last year in terms of Lakers fans, just constantly packing him up and the negativity and the vitriol thrown in this direction to see fans cheering him, to see fans giving him MVP chance, and to see Russ actually, you know, endearing himself and engaging with the fans now. I'm not a big fan of all the the rock the babies and the he's too small when, when your team's not performing at the level <laughs> it needs to perform at save that for when you're up 20 and you're actually going to going to win games <laughs> but do like to see him out there smiling working hard and he's been a, a you know a bright spot on the team this year obviously it, it's premature and very early but talk about sixth man of the year but just to see the him him taking that obviously he's a guy who started for the bulk of his career now having to go back into a situation he's not really familiar with but him 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 taking that, being being respectful of it, not you know trying to stir up a lot of stuff with the media and things like that, being embracing of his role is good to see. And hopefully this squad, once they can obviously become a cohesive unit, start putting some wins on the board. You know, I feel like top 10 in the West is definitely a target and a goal that they can reach. Don't know much more beyond that, but it has been good to see this squad playing together playing exciting basketball on one side of it also it's been a lot a lot of frustrating and disappointing to see a lot of kind of same stuff that we saw last year in terms of just you know bringing bringing that effort every single night on the offensive end and giving them themselves a chance to actually win basketball games
2: As a Lakers fan, what are you kind of feeling as as far as direction of the team? Because, I mean, trying to, you know, put myself in in Lakers fans' shoes, I mean, I I think my take would be, look, we got AD, we got LeBron. At at a certain point, like, you got those names – let's just roll it out let's get this done let's see where this goes but in terms of you know not having very many future draft picks etc i mean would you be more along the lines of wanting to see one or a couple of those big pieces go and like just start the rebuild if we're not going to be in that title talk contention or we've got two guys on our roster here what three guys excuse me in the nba top 75 let's just
1: see what they can do. Well, it's a hard situation, man. I'm a lifelong LeBron fan, but LeBron entering year 20 now, he's still playing at a super high level, but you can definitely see, obviously we see those commercials, LeBron versus father time. And this is no knock to LeBron, the amount of minutes he's played, the amount of mileage on his body, the, the fact that he's still able to be competing at a high level, putting up 25 points a game is remarkable, but this is also not a position he needs to be in at this stage of his career, right? You know, mm-hmm. he needs to really be saved and gearing up to the playoffs. Said the same thing last year. Like, it was great to see all the 30-point, 40-point games, but, you know, especially now when you're playing this 82-game season with the back-to-backs and all that type of stuff, there's there needs to be time for LeBron to take breaks. Like, he really only needs to play 60, 65 games, space it out so he's never really playing back-to-backs, getting as much rest as needed that somebody in their 20th season deserves. And you'd like to see AD really step to the forefront and lead the squad. And AD's been playing, uh, you know, pretty solid, you know, especially on the defensive end, but he'll do things like drop 20 in one half and then literally won't, you know, take one shot in the second half and score two points. So I feel like that's on the coaching as well to get AD more involved. This needs to be the guy that that really is the franchise player at this point that that's really guiding and leading this team, especially in the regular season. So he's also dealt with some, some back injuries. And I know he said before the season he wanted to play all 82 games. And if my initial reaction was that was like, no, we only need you to play like, again, 65, 70 games. Don't worry about doing this. this is a long, grueling season. And it's also, you know, when you're looking at the schedule, you're looking at games. Here are games that we can win. Here are games that we probably can't win. So you don't need to waste a lot of energy and attention on the games that you know you're not going to win anyway. And really now fatigue these guys like, you know, they're playing Sunday, Monday, back to backs and things like that. It just doesn't make much sense. Where if you're going to take that loss anyway, you might as well rest these guys up and really make sure you're putting their best foot forward in games that are winnable. But, you know, this is something that they're going to have to figure out. I wasn't opposed to a a trade. You know, I know everybody's talking about, you know, mortgaging and and bankrolling their future with the first round picks. But now as the games go on, now it just becomes, is is it actually worth it? You're going to have a lot of situations once the season ends. Guy's going to be out of contracts, abilities to make moves without obviously having to surrender those first round picks. Guys are going to be on the free agent market. You know, you think about somebody like Kyrie, just depending on how his career pans out and, uh, you know, what what he does this season. But there's going to be opportunities now to sign free agents, to get guys out there where you don't need to jeopardize and sacrifice those picks. So as these games go on, You know, it becomes a point of, you know, are you going to give up all this value now for 50 games, for 40 games? And, you know, as you get closer to that trade deadline, does it become worth it? And it's almost like, well, if you weren't going to make that move before the season, why would you make the move now at the trade deadline when we're 40 games in? And, you know, the the opportunity to make a playoff run is, is far less significant. So that's just me. I'm not a GM. I'm not a, you know, I'm not in the front office. So that's just my opinion. I'm sure, you know, a lot of Lakers fans feel differently about it. But I think at the end of the day, if they can make moves that make this team better, and this is also, I think we have to keep in mind that we haven't seen Schroeder yet, who, who's obviously been injured, Thomas Bryan, who has been injured. So this is the team that's not yet whole. So we'd love to get a, 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 at least a small sample size of what this team looks like when it's as close to healthy as possible. But at the end of the day, just making that move for me, like as these, these days go on now and these games start to pile up, it just becomes less and less of a, of a strategic and a smart move.
0: So you mentioned – you're a big time LeBron fan, follow his entire career. Where do you see his next move being? I, I mean, he, he won the title in the bubble, and this has been a, a struggle since. Does he get this? Do you get the sense that he stays in LA or does he want to look for kind of greener pastures? I know there's been plenty of speculation about him wanting to play with his son um, once he gets into the league, but where does he kind of go from here, you know, in terms of, you know, with the Lakers struggling? Like, do, you, can, do you predict what his next move
1: might be to do the best of your ability? Well, I believe he's in he's under contract for at least one more year, if I'm not mistaken. So that's right. It's a uh, you know I think he's in LA, but but to the point, you yeah. know he's he's getting on. I think for me, looking at LeBron now in year 20, uh, just in terms of conserving energy, I don't think he needs to be as ball dominant anymore as as he was in years past. I think this team performs well when they're they're really pushing tempo and moving the breaking guys are knocking down their shots. So you'd like to see a situation, you know, I, I kind of joked early on in the season, but it feels like with him and Westbrook, when they're out there together, kind of like those Showtime days with Magic Johnson and Norm Nixon, from the standpoint of you got two guys who can really push tempo, who can make good passes, get assists, and, and really start leaning more towards that. It's kind of tough, you know, LeBron, for, for the bulk of the later stages of his career, has been Super ball dominant. And you're talking about, you know, holding the ball 10, 12, 14 seconds on offensive possession. And frankly, that, that just, again, is adding up to his mileage, It's fatiguing him. And you can see he doesn't have the same ability to get to the basket and blow past defenders that he, he used to have. And that's fine. That's a part of the game. That's a part of the aging process. But it's now how does he adjust his game? Does he to shift more to a, you know, a point forward or, or a power forward type of role where he lets somebody else be more ball dominant and concentrates on knocking down his 15 to 18 footers, uh, being less dependent on having the ball in his hand the entire game to be able to make things happen? But... Again, LeBron's going to do what LeBron wants to do. I think when you look at this Lakers organization, this franchise, you know, all the championship banners, the, the the legacy, living in Los Angeles, I don't think, I I wouldn't see him going somewhere else. You know, Bronny's a couple years away. Bronny's obviously a senior in high school now. going to need a couple years of college to get to where he needs to get to. So you're talking about LeBron in year 23, year 24 of his career, which is just crazy to, to think about and just wondering how much longer this is going to go on for. Obviously, he's got... You know, you look at somebody like Kareem who played 20 years, but Kareem had to go to college for four years versus LeBron who came straight to the pro. So those four years can now get swallowed into his his professional career. But, you know, just the fact that he's doing what he's doing now at year 20. And also just as a LeBron fan, you know, I think about Kobe in the later stages of his career and you could start to see, you know, the the father time would caught up with him and suffering the injury, the Achilles injury and coming back, you know, for those last couple of years, You know, he was doing basketball. He was playing basketball because he loved the game. But you could see the wear and tear and just the toll that it took on his body and his mental and, you know, physically and emotionally and all those type of things. So for LeBron, it's kind of – it's getting to that point. And as LeBron fans, I'm I'm a lot more appreciative of what Kobe fans went through in the latter stages of his career, what MJ fans went through in the latter stages of his career. But it's really hard to compare those guys. MJ obviously took some time off to go play baseball. He was still a little bit fresher and younger in those, the latter stages of his career versus somebody like LeBron, who you're talking about 10 finals runs and just playing consistently in, into to June, into mid-June, every single season and then having to come back and do it again, playing in excess of 100 games a year. So, you know, last year, obviously it was a struggle. It was tough for them to not make the playoffs and even in the year previous when AD got hurt. But you're talking about, you know, bubble championship that next year. That squad was still solid. You know, if AD doesn't get hurt in, in, the, in the playoffs against the Suns, who knows where the chips fall? But, you know, you got to feel like the Lakers were on the verge of going up 3 1 before AD got hurt, that that team could have made a championship run. So it's tough to look at that squad and last year's squad and put those two teams together and, and you know, those two seasons together and, and, and say the same thing. But now it's looking like last season is going to be a lot like, you know, what this season is shaping up to be. But Ultimately, LeBron's got to start to just make decisions and decide how long he wants to be able to extend his career because doing the same things he's been doing, it looks like it's definitely going to shorten that time frame.
2: With the legacy talk, I have to, of course, bring up Arguably the most impressive record that LeBron's going to break this year in the NBA with Kareem's, of course, scoring title, uh, all-time leading score in NBA history, and LeBron, a guy you know, you brought up a lot of these points. I mean, he's known not really as a scorer primarily. He became that, he grew into that, but known for his versatility, known for his basketball IQ and and his durability. Certainly, um, how big of a deal do you think this is? I mean, there there's been a lot of talk about downplaying this in LA because. because LeBron kind of doesn't belong to the Lakers alone, but it still seems like as far as a feather in your cap, so to speak for your legacy, this is a huge deal for LeBron. And do you think that we're going to get the appropriate level of hype for what he's about to do?
1: Like, I think regardless of where the Lakers are at that point in the season, you know, this is a record that, you know, a lot of people felt was unbreakable. Obviously we've been monitoring LeBron for years and that trajectory, but You do that with a lot of guys. And as the years go on and, you know, there's different variables and factors and obstacles that prevent them from getting to that level. But for LeBron to consistently do what he's been doing, uh, scoring the basketball at a high level, you know, at a high high field goal percentage, it's remarkable. And I'm a big Kareem fan. again. I'm a UCLA guy. So Kareem is my goat. LeBron is my goat. Contemporary Kareem is my goat all time for everything he did on and off the court. You know, what I mean, whether whether you know the civil rights stuff or, or almost beating Bruce Lee up in game of death, you know, just <laughs> you know, the things he was able to accomplish. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a big moment. It's a phenomenal moment. I feel like Lakers fans will give him the love and respect he deserves for that that moment. And again, I know there's been a lot of talk on social lately, like, oh, they're going to boom or whatever. Like, look, Lakers yes. fans, <laughs> you know, just being around here since LeBron came. The Lakers demand excellence. Lakers fans demand excellence. So you know, you talk about them being tough on guys. Yeah, they were tough on you know everybody. They were tough on LeBron at a point. You know, early early during the, this this marriage that they have together, they're tough on AD KCP Coos. You know, every every single player on the team can get it. Westbrook obviously received it at a level I don't think I've seen. But conversely, like when Westwood performs and plays well, this is also a squad that'll give you MVP chance. So, you know, there it's Hollywood. This is we like excitement, we like winners. So, when things don't go that way, they're going to be very vocal. They've seen a lot of championships in their day. You're talking about a lot of fans who grew up during the show- Showtime era. So, they, you know, they've seen a high level of win- winning basketball, formerly in Inglewood, the city of championships, now in downtown L. A. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, they're going to give him the, the love and respect that he deserves for that moment. I think I, you can't be a basketball fan and however you feel about LeBron, not appreciate the fact that he's going to now break this record and, and become the new all time highest scorer in NBA history.
0: Josiah, I want to ask you about your observations earlier on in the season. Anything, anything else that stands out to you? Anything that surprised you in terms of what you're seeing so far?
1: I think just the Warriors. I mean, you, you know, you, you talk about they just it, it looks extremely uncharacteristic of the squad. I know they've had some issues on the bench and getting guys ready to go. But when you talk about a, a unit that has Steph Curry, who, you know, is, is making his claim as the best player in the league right now, uh, you know, coming off a of finals MVP and everything he's been able to accomplish in his career, Draymond, Clay, and just the the amount of championships and winning basketball that that organization has played, you know, in, in years past if you had a 15, 20 point lead on the Warriors, they could eat that thing up, you know, six, seven minutes of game action. Like, and you would just watch it happen in real time and know there's nothing you could do about it. We're now seeing their road struggles and some of the teams they are losing to, you know, definitely feels like a championship hangover. But again, this is a squad that I think, you know, once the playoffs come, they're going to be able to lock in and get it together. So, I'm not really – I know Warriors fans are acting like the sky is falling and definitely there needs to be some work done and maybe there's some moves made in that franchise. But When you talk about that big three core unit along with Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, like guys are going to figure it out and they've already done it at a high level and, and won championships together. So I think they're going to be all right. But it's definitely been interesting to see just their road struggles and, you know, watching games where they have leads and then them kind of giving up leads, just stuff that like super uncharacteristic – of what Warriors basketball has been for the past few years, you know when when all the core is locked in and when Clay's healthy, when that whole crew is together. But you know it's going to going to be interesting to see. And I feel like this Western Conference, like we talked about earlier in the show, Western Conference, Eastern Conference, just league pass in general. You know, you're starting to see that changing of the guard, which you know you see every you know five, six, seven years. When these teams that that you didn't expect to do much are now performing where everybody thought the Jazz were going to be tanking you know, for Victor, women, Yama. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a squad that's out, you know, they, they're, you know, they, they might think they're going to take all the way to the playoffs and trying to make a championship push. But <laughs> yeah. again, it's early in the season. There's a lot that can go, you know, in, in season so unpredictable that, you know, we looked at the Celtics last year and I think they were like 23 and 25 or something like that, you know, during the midway point and then proceeded to, to go on a great run and get all the way to the final. So, you never really can just tell what's going to happen. So never get too excited or too down early in the season. Obviously, Lakers fans starting to get close to that point, you know, the, the squad's two and eight. And it's like, all right, well, what, you know, what's going to happen now? Because you, you literally just want to try to get to 500. And that that, that requires a six game winning streak at this point, which, you know, is not realistic. But are they going to be able to close the gap and start piling on more wins and losses? But I think across the board, I'm just excited for this NBA season. As I've gotten older in life, I just really get to, you know, learn to appreciate just seeing high-level basketball. And we're also seeing now these young guys, the Luca's, the Trey's of the world, the Job ja Morant's of the world, that are now stepping into, you know, superstardom and really embracing that role and playing at levels that, you know, we, some might have expected, but just just still incredible to see that happening.
2: Oh, go ahead, man. Sorry, Justin. We've asked a few people this, and, and given – you know, what you see on a day-to-day basis and the folks that you're talking to your perspective on the league as a whole, I'd be curious to know your thoughts too. Is tanking as big of a problem as people make it out to be? Is it a, a major minor problem somewhere in between that, um, from what you're seeing, you know, mentioning the excitement level, you know, another team we haven't mentioned yet that I think are, are, pretty fun to watch are the Pistons as well. And that's, you know, one of those teams that is still getting their act together, figuring things out. A lot of young talent on that team. You don't expect teams that young to go very far. But back to the question, I mean, do you think tanking is as huge of an issue that people make it out to be?
1: I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, players are going out there and trying to give as, as much of a maximum effort as possible. You know, tanking is more of a front office situation where you don't, you know, put the yeah. pieces in place to give your team, the opportunity to win. I think if you go ask guys around the league, you know, they're not they're not laying it up or whatever. These guys are trying to get new contracts. They're trying to make money to support their families. So from a player perspective, I don't believe that they deliberately go out there and try to tank. Now, from a front office perspective, you can definitely create situations where, you know, when you look at the Lakers, for example, I don't think the Lakers are deliberately trying to tank. But when you have an offseason, they don't really make any major moves to really fucking, you know, really improve the roster to the level it needs to be you know, then then that tanking situation just kind of comes naturally. But it, it's great for me to see squads like the Pistons who, you know, been down for a few years, but they start to get the Cade Cunningham, the Jay Nivies, those type of players in and make that basketball exciting. I always think about, you know, OKC back in the day when it was, you know, young Durant, young Westbrook, young James Harden. You could just see, and this is something I was talking to uh, K.J. Martin, who's on the Rockets uh, this offseason. It's, it's one thing to be, you know, a young team versus a bad team. Like the Rockets, they're a young team, right? right. Young teams are going to lose games. That just right. is what it is. So you might be at the bottom of the league or one of the worst teams in the league from a young team perspective. But once you get old enough now, you start to become vets and you start to learn this game. It reminds me of those OKC Thunder squads where you hmm. saw those squads and you know, all right, you know, once KD and, 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 and Westbrook and Harden figured out, just get a little bit older, become more vet savvy, like these are going to be winning basketball players. Like these guys aren't, you know, th- th- their team may have a losing record, but these guys aren't necessarily losers. It's a lot different than, you know, an older squad where they're performing at a low level and they really have guys that have been in the league long enough where that shouldn't be the case. It's, it's a learning process for the young teams. You know, it's a little tough when you look at a squad like the Lakers, it has a lot of, a lot of vet veteran presence, but just can't get it together. But I think, you know, Hanging is a part of, of the game. It just is what it is. Same thing with the NFL, other squads. You know, when you see an opportunity, especially with this draft coming up and some of the talent that is coming through there, yeah, some teams are, you know, if I can get a guy who can completely change my franchise, but to the NBA's, I don't even know credit per se. I don't know if I agree with it or disagree with it. I like the NFL model where, look, the worst team in the league is going to get the number one pick. The NBA tries to make it a little bit difficult. I'm not, you know, I don't like to let things rely on ping pong balls. If this is the worst team in the league, (laughs) just, uh, you know, it's obvious that they should get the best player to help make them become a better team, not let their fate be decided by, you know, a a ping pong lottery type system. Lottery is cool. It's entertaining when you're watching it. But it's also like, you know, you see teams sometimes get screwed out of getting that top level talent. So I don't, you know, I yeah. think at the end of the day, there comes a point when, yeah, that, that kind of thing works if you're trying to build now and shore up that roster. But eventually, these teams got to start going out there and producing.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I'm with you on, <laughs> on your
1: lottery point there. It's, yeah, it's a, you know, I see it both ways. It's exciting. It's entertaining, of course. You know, I'll see the envelopes unfold, but I appreciate the NFL model. We're like, oh, This was the worst team in the league. The worst team in the league gets the best young talent to come in and hopefully not make them the worst team in the league next year.
2: Yeah. And I, I just don't think we'd have five plus teams like fighting to get five wins over the course of the season. I, I think at some point it, it maybe is is uh, too embarrassing or, or something along those lines and, and just not overall worth it. Uh, you know, even if we got a guy like Wemby coming in, who seems like he's going to be phenomenal. I mean, yeah. are we really going to have a third of the league, in single digit wins. I mean, I, w- I would certainly hope not.
1: And yeah, I assume yeah. not.
2: Oh, totally. Correct.
0: Josiah. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media. And then um, all the platforms on, and any other projects you're working on for the rest of the year as well.
1: Uh, King Josiah 54 on Twitter. We'll see for how much longer, just, uh, you know, the things going on on that side that, you know, make me a little nervous. Twitter and Instagram. You catch me on the No Chill Podcast with Gilbert Arenas, out of pocket on Wave. Uh, You know, still doing a bunch of different stuff behind the scenes, but really appreciate you guys having me on, man.
0: Appreciate the time, Josiah. Thank you very much. All right.
1: Take care.